Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Today, we are resuming our study in the Acts of the Apostles, and we are ready for chapter 23. Chapter 23 is about, let's see, 31 verses, 32, 34 verses, so not super long. It's a continuation of Paul basically having to give an account uh, last week, it was his defense before the Jews. This week, chapter 23, it is uh, basically his defense before the council, uh, which is still the Jews, right? It's, uh, but it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and that kind of thing. Um, some interesting things do happen uh, in just 31 verses. So uh, open up your hearts and uh, let's see what the Word of God has for us this morning. Quick reminder, the website, scriptureandprophecy.com. Uh, that's where you go to find the archives, uh, support this mission, uh, all those things. So, scriptureandprophecy.com. All right, let's begin. Chapter 23, The Acts of the Apostles. Verse 1. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law? and in violation of the law, order me to be struck. Now, please note, like this phrase, whitewashed wall. Um, it seems like what the Bible's getting at when people use that term. It, this isn't the first term time that it's actually used. Uh, I believe it's used once in Mark and once in Ezekiel. Uh, but a whitewashed wall, the idea is it's a you're covered falsely, right? Like you're really dirty, but you're made to look clean, but with this coat of whitewash that's over you. So Ananias commands those standing next to Paul to strike him on the mouth. Paul uh, is not too thrilled about that idea and knows it's against the law. And responds with a little bit of anger. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you try me against the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck? Now continue on verse 4. But the bystander said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So, he, when he realizes it's Ananias the high priest who commanded, he actually apologizes uh, because he knows that the law also says what he quotes here, you shall not speak evil uh, of a ruler of your people. I tend to think that even though Paul didn't recognize him as Ananias, that it was still the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. Um, I'm reminded of that verse in uh, the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says, so if you go to Mark 13, verse 11, and Jesus says, But when they shall lead you 
and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that you speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. So I happen to think that it's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, that calls Ananias what he is, which is a whitewashed wall. And we're about to see just how wicked these Jewish leaders were, and their followers, for that matter. Um, and as we have learned through reading the book of Acts and through reading the Gospels, the Jewish leadership, by and large, was not actually interested in God or the Messiah or obeying God or obeying the law. It was all about power, prestige, wealth, those types of things. All right, let's continue on. Paul's going to notice something now. So he apologizes, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Then verse 6, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. So please note the wisdom here. Now, Paul really was a Pharisee. That's important to note. But he realizes that uh, he's in a group, a council before Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in, the, in a future resurrection, but the Sadducees did not. So Paul thinks, hey, I can stir up some mess between them and get them arguing amongst each other by just pointing out this. So he says, I'm on, the reason I'm on trial is for the resurrection of the dead. And so now what we're going to see is the Pharisees and the Sadducees starting to go back and forth over this doctrine. As you look at verse 7, And as he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes and the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heartedly, or, or I'm sorry, began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them according be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. All right, let's note a couple of things here so Paul gets them fighting amongst each other uh, the centurion the, the the guard here the commander actually he, he's afraid that amongst this argument they're going to tear Paul literally in pieces so he orders him to be brought in the barracks now while Paul is in the barracks the Lord appears to him not the first time uh, but sometimes we forget that Paul actually spoke with the Lord that the Lord appeared to him multiple times. So the Lord appears to him and says, Be of good cheer, 
because just like you've witnessed for me in Jerusalem, you're also going to witness for me in Rome. So in other words, don't be afraid. This isn't the end yet for you. You've got other work to do. Let me read a little bit of commentary from Matthew Henry. Uh, just real quick here. Um, he says, Whoever is against us, we need not fear if the Lord stands by us. It is the will of Christ that his servants, who are faithful, should be always cheerful. He might think he should never see Rome, but God tells him, even in that he should be gratified since he desired to go there only for the honor of Christ and to do good. All right, let's continue on. We're ready for verse 12. So we're going to read verses 12 through 24, and then I'm going to give you some more commentary from Matthew Henry. What's getting ready to happen here is this conspiracy to kill Paul. Remember what I said. These people are not interested in the truth. They're not interested in obeying God's law and seeing right, ruling, justice according to the Torah and all that. It's, it's all about politics. It's all about games. And we're going to see that right away here. Verse 12. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot and they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his cause by a more th thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. Now please note, someone might make the argument, well, it was just 40 Jews, right? Who? No, they came to the council, the high priest, and... Con this conspiracy was continued uh, by the chief priests and the elders. So it wasn't just these 40 unruly Jews. It was these 40 unruly Jews with the blessing of the priest uh, and the council. Uh, continuing on verse 16. But the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush he came and he entered the barracks and told Paul, and Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and he led him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. And the commander took him by the hand and stepping aside to begin and began to inquire of him privately, What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them, for more than forty of them are lying in wait for him who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they have slain him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man go, instructing him, Tell no one that you have notified me of these things. And he called to him two centurions and said, Get two hundred soldiers ready 
by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. All right. Let's take a second here. So, this plan is interrupted by Paul's nephew, who happens to overhear what's going on, and he goes to Paul, and then Paul sends him to a centurion, and the centurion takes him to the commander, and now the commander's setting up a new plan to get Paul out of there and to head to Caesarea. And uh, one, well, next week, which we're not finished this morning yet, but next week, um, the chapter 24 is Paul actually before Felix. So this is kind of setting the stage for that. Let me read you some commentary again from Matthew Henry uh, about these last 10 verses here. He says, False religious principles adopted by carnal men urge on to such wickedness as human nature would hardly be supposed capable of. Yet the Lord readily disappoints the best concerted schemes of iniquity. Paul knew that the divine providence acts by reasonable and prudent means, and that, if he neglected to use the means in his power, he could not expect God's providence to work on his behalf. He who will not help himself according to his means and power has neither reason nor revelation to assure him that he shall receive help from God. Believing in the Lord, we and ours shall keep, shall be kept from every evil work and kept to his kingdom. Heavenly Father, give us by the Holy Spirit, for Christ's sakes, this precious faith. So Matthew Henry's pointing out, you know, when people adopt these false religious principles and their religious principles adopted by carnal men, meaning men who are worldly, they may pretend to be godly, they may wear the robes, the fancy robes and all that, but they're really just carnal. They urge on to such wickedness as human nature would hardly suppose capable of. And I like that line, yet the Lord readily disappoints the best concerted schemes of iniquity. All right, let's continue on. We're going to read 10 more verses to be finished for this morning. So the commander, he says, we're going to take him to the governor of the Felix, governor Felix, verse 25, and he wrote a letter having this forum. Claudius Lycia to the most excellent governor Felix greetings when this man was arrested by Jews and was about to be slain by them I came up to them with the troops and rescued him having learned that he was a Roman and wanting to ascertain the charges for which they were accusing him I brought him down there count brought him down to their council and I found him to be accused over questions about their law but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. And when I was informed that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. Please note, here's something that we don't really think about. So Luke is the author of Acts, right? At some point... One of the centurions or someone shared this letter, right? Otherwise, how would, how would Luke know what was written in that letter that went to Felix? I suspect that either this commander 
or one of the centurions or one of them actually became a believer because of Paul's testimony. And that's how they probably got access to what this letter said that was written to Felix. Something interesting to think about. Verse 31. So the soldiers in accordance with their orders took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. And when these had come to Caesarea, delivered the letter to the governor. They, were present, they presented Paul to him. And when he had read it, he asked from what province he was. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's Petronium, or Praterium, Praterium, Herod's Praterium. So that is the end of chapter 23. So Felix, is, Felix agrees to see Paul. He says, but I'm not going to do this thing until your accusers get here. So he's going to let the council come down so he can uh, kind of discern between what's being said here. Let me give you one more little commentary from Matthew Henry to end this morning. Just one more paragraph. Uh, he says, God has instruments for every work. The natural abilities and the moral virtues of the heathens often have been employed to protect his persecuted servants. I believe what Matthew Henry is getting at is even the heathen commanders and centurions, God still was able to use them, right? Through the, norm, through the natural abilities and moral virtues to protect Paul. Continuing on with the commentary, he says, Even the men of the world can discern between the consensuous conduct of upright believers and the zeal of false professors. Though they disagreed, or, or I'm sorry, though they disregard or understand not their doctrine or principles, all hearts are in God's command, God's hand. And those are blessed who put their trust in Him and commit their ways unto Him. And that is our study for this morning. All the commentary I read this morning from Matthew Henry was really central, centered around one thought. And that is God protects and provides and is in control when it comes to those of the faith. Right? Paul was faithful. Trusted God. And as a result, the Lord appears before him and says, Don't worry, this isn't the end. You still have to do your thing in Rome. Even though there's this evil plot to have Paul murdered, it's thwarted. God even uses heathens to protect Paul deliver him safely into another area of, of the Roman Empire. All hearts are in God's hand, and those are blessed who put their trust in him and commit their ways unto him. Well, I pray you've been blessed this morning, strengthened and encouraged. I hope that the podcast is still serving you well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Peace and grace be with all of you, and until next time, God bless.